The most maddening assertion from the gift of singleness teaching is that singleness allows a person undivided and undistracted devotion to the Lord. Gift of singleness advocates derive this belief from 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35, which reads, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're a Christian who's been single for a while, especially past 30, and you've been troubled by it enough to mention it to someone, you've almost certainly been told something like this. God has given you the gift of singleness so you can freely devote yourself to the Lord and kingdom work. The married people have to divide their time, energy, and attention between the Lord and pleasing a spouse and caring for children. But you, single Christian, are free. You can drop everything at a moment's notice and evangelize in the streets. You can go to Tibet and preach the gospel to the Sherpa. You can feed the hungry children of the world. Stop complaining about your singleness. Spread your wings and fly. I am single, but I'm not undistracted. I am single, but in all my years as a single adult, I have never been free. What keeps me and other Christian singles tethered to the ground is sexual desire. And by sexual desire, I don't just mean the urge to engage in the sex act, although I would include that. There is way more to sexual desire than that. As a woman, I yearn for an intimate physical, emotional, and spiritual relationship with a man. My body longs for the touch of a man. My heart craves deep personal conversations with him, and I greatly wish to walk alongside him in life. I believe this is how God designed me, and nearly every woman, and it's not something I can simply ignore. I can't just turn it off like a switch and say, Well, it looks like I'm not going to get married, so let me put myself in celibacy mode. Let me just turn on the celibacy settings in my brain so I can devote myself 100% to the work of the kingdom. Simply being single does not make you undistracted. Sexual desires are exceedingly distracting. Indeed, I believe they were created by God to be so. The gift Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 7 is not singleness, but the spirit-enabled ability to be celibate. I don't think it's an accident that those who preach the gift of singleness doctrine rarely talk about celibacy. They talk about singleness in the most vacuous and romanticized ways. Falling in love with Jesus. Letting Jesus be your everything. Walking hand in hand with God. And so forth. But they never want to talk about the real reality of singleness. What it's like to be undesirably celibate for years and years and what that does to you. They avoid talking about the cost of long-term singleness as well, the deaths you grieve along the way, the loss of youth, the loss of beauty and attractiveness, the lost opportunity to bear children, particularly for women who have a fertility expiration date. The world, of course, is completely bemused by the angst of Christian singles. The world mocks us. You don't need to be married to enjoy sex. Just have sex. But as a Christian woman, I want to honor the Lord above all else and steer clear of fornication. And besides, I don't want just a sexual encounter with a man. I want marriage. 
in all the godly privileges and responsibilities that come with marriage. I have married friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who are honestly perplexed and ask me, Janice, why does being single bother you so much? Why can't you accept what the Bible clearly says, that singleness is a gift? You know what? You don't believe the Bible. You've made an idol out of marriage, and you need to repent of that and accept your singleness as a gift from God. The accusation that I've made marriage into an idol hurts horribly. I truly love the Lord and know that nothing is more important in life than Christ. But it's easier for me to turn myself into a platypus than to not desire marriage. When I try to explain this to my friends, they sometimes spit back, Well, then pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you peace and singleness. But why would I pray for something I absolutely do not want? I don't want to be celibate. I don't even want to want to be celibate. And does the Bible really clearly state that singleness is a gift? A careful reading of 1 Corinthians 7 reveals that it doesn't. Many people, especially gift of singleness proponents, read 1 Corinthians 7 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, and believe Paul is affirming that it is good for anyone to be single and celibate. But notice that statement is in quotes. Paul is quoting the letter the Corinthian church sent him. He's not making that statement himself. In fact, Paul goes on to refute this statement in the second verse of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Paul is disagreeing with the Corinthian church's statement, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. According to Paul, who writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is not good for a man or woman to remain single and celibate if it makes them vulnerable to sexual temptation. He then explains in verses 3 through 5 that celibacy in marriage is wrong. The wife and the husband have a duty to sexually please each other. Even the desire to devote oneself to prayer, surely a good holy desire, should not be used as an excuse to not be sexually available to your spouse. Because of what? Again, sexual temptation. So when we get to the famous verse 7, which reads, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. We can see that Paul's gift is the ability to be celibate without sexual temptation. Let's look at it another way. If Paul is speaking the words of the Holy Spirit, the gift he's referring to can't be the condition of singleness. Paul would never say, I wish all men were single like me, because God definitely doesn't wish everyone was single. The Holy Spirit would not have inspired Paul to say something that the Spirit himself would not say. Paul addresses sexual temptation again in verse 9 when he talks about the unmarried and the widows. Verse 9 reads, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul advises marriage for those who cannot exercise sexual self-control. He addresses sexual desire and singleness yet again when he advises the young widows in 1 Timothy 5, 11-14. Paul says in verse 14, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So in summary, to those singles who struggle with sexual passions, the Apostle Paul recommends marriage 
not white-knuckling it through celibacy, trying to embrace some purported gift of singleness. Gift of singleness teaching assures us celibacy is doable for anyone, but the Apostle Paul doesn't agree with them. They tell us to let Jesus spiritually satisfy your sexual desires or lay your sexual desires on the altar, but Paul never instructs us to do that. He says to get married. In fact, nowhere in the Bible, not in 1 Corinthians 7, not in Matthew 19, not anywhere, does it say Christ will satisfy our longings for a spouse. There are many needs, longings, and desires that are God-given, but that Christ does not satisfy spiritually. And acknowledging that doesn't disparage our Lord and Savior in any way. In John 6.35, Jesus declares, He is the bread of life. And He truly is. But if you're physically hungry, you can't make a sandwich out of Jesus and eat Him. He's not the kind of bread you eat. Jesus is the living water, but you can't drink Him. The fact is, Christ does not satisfy physical hunger or thirst spiritually, and He also doesn't satisfy the longing for a spouse or sexual desire spiritually. Certainly, hunger, thirst, and sexual desires are not an end in themselves. All the physical longings we have point to a greater reality, Christ. Romans 11.36 says, For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. But while we are all still alive here on earth, we still need food, water, and spouses. So praise the Lord, Paul recommends marriage for single Christians like you and me. We don't have to spend our lives trying in vain to convince ourselves that singleness is a gift. Knowing what the word truly says about singleness is comforting, but it doesn't make a spouse miraculously materialized, does it? And the struggle is real, isn't it? Being an unmarried adult... Celibate and sexless for years and years has not just been frustrating, it's been humiliating. I've never done what adults normally do. Am I even an adult? Unlike most women, I've never had sex with a man and have never had children. Am I even a woman at all? I look at myself in the mirror and see my breasts staring back at me like two colossal jokes. Why do I even have these if I'm never going to get married? Long-term singleness sometimes takes me to some dark places in my mind. But what is encouraging, even in those moments of, of uncomfortable awkwardness, is the confidence in knowing our God is the Lord of the ringless too. He has not forgotten me. In a future podcast, I'm going to go into more detail on why it is so hard to get married these days, which will hopefully help you and me in our approach to marriage. But until then, we have to find a way to live in the tension between wanting to be married and knowing God wants us to marry, and being content and spiritually fruitful in our singleness today. What has helped me tremendously is fighting to have a God-honoring mindset about sex. That's very difficult in the sex-obsessed culture in which we live, and it will probably require limiting your exposure to some secular songs, TV shows, and movies that glorify sexual sin. Avoid taking your sexual desires underground. What I mean is, don't seek to satisfy them on your own because any attempt to satiate those desires except in the realm of marriage is sin. When you've been single for a while and don't see a spouse on the horizon, it can be extremely tempting to take the edge off. Doing things that you think will tide you over until you finally get married. Things like looking at pornography, watching sexually explicit movies, lusting and indulging in sexual fantasies, and masturbating. 
These sins don't tide you over. They are enslaving and often follow you into marriage. Sadly, the church today turns a blind eye to these sins. They exhort singles to, quote, embrace your gift of singleness. But the church makes sure not to ask too many questions about how these same singles are dealing with long-term celibacy. Make no mistake about it, though. These sexual sins are defiling, and God hates them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5 reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. These sexual sins also train us to develop a selfish attitude about sex, seeing it as our own personal pursuit of pleasure. However, God intended for us to see sex as a way to lovingly and selflessly serve our spouse and to feel pleasure in response to giving them pleasure. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7-4 through said, The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. As Christians, we should cultivate a desire to please God in every area of our lives, including our sexual desires. Not only will this honor and glorify God, but it will make celibacy much more bearable as we continue to pursue and pray for marriage. Now, the question might legitimately be asked, what then does Paul mean by what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35? Paul here is simply describing the life of a person who can be celibate with the Spirit's enabling and the life of a person who marries. There is no statement in this passage, either direct or implied, that God assigns marriage to some people and singleness to others. Also, please note, Paul does not judge either person. He doesn't say or suggest that the unmarried person who is devoted to the Lord is holier than the married person whose interests are divided between the Lord and the spouse. Neither are presented as superior or inferior. They are just stated as facts. The gift of singleness doctrine, on the other hand, is very judgy. It says, in effect, singleness is always better than marriage because it affords undistracted devotion to the Lord. So if you're single and you still desire marriage, then you're a wicked, carnal, evil, sex-obsessed reprobate. But it's not true that singleness always affords you undistracted devotion. And Paul, and by extension the Holy Spirit, never guilts people into staying single. As the Lord Jesus Christ himself said so compassionately in Matthew 19.12, Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. May God bless you, my single brothers and sisters. Let not your heart be troubled and don't get discouraged. Be on the lookout for my next podcast topic, Why is it so hard to get married these days?